From Cap Street to the world, this is BFF.FM. Hell yeah. My name is Alan Moskowitz. This is the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour, and we are back. It has been a fucking minute. We are in the middle of, I guess, the second biggest rainstorm in some crazy statistic in San Francisco. I don't have the real numbers. I don't have the real facts, but you're not here to listen to that. And it's fucking raining. And all the flights in and out of the city around New Year's have been fucked up by the same storm that keeps hitting us week after week. Felt like a piece of my fucking house was falling off. Noelle, who uh, was here on one of the earlier episodes, had her house flooded because there's like a basin kind of by... where the 280 passes, if you're in town, you know what I'm talking about. But if you're not, and you're somebody who's listening from far off, there's like a basin where this hill kind of meets this industrial section. And um, there are a bunch of mudslides. And like there's a um, sort of an underpass under the highway, which connects there. And there's very little else there. And I was driving uh, through this underpass. And uh, uh, I thought it was a door dasher who was, uh, you know, double parked on the side of the road because they're everywhere double parked on the fucking side of the road. You know, you're trying to drive around and just like basically like two lane traffic turns into one and a half lanes and like a lot of maneuvering and trick shots. So I thought this was some of that. But it turns out somebody had gotten their car lodged in a flash flood underneath this underpass from like this hill and had barely climbed out and the vehicle was still there. Then the next day I was serving the paramedics at my food service job and actually got like the inside scoop on it, which was fucking horrifying. Can you fucking imagine if you've been through that and you want to talk about it, I would be fascinated. My email is fakepublishingmillionaires at gmail.com. Like the first song in our set by Catatonia, none of that was something I meant to talk about today, but God fucking damn it, it feels good to be on the radio. Today I'm talking to Ian Garland and we are going to be talking about uh, their Project North Haven, their Project Solvent C, a whole bunch of other tangential shit, but we're premiering some stuff from Ian's new album tonight. Uh, I'm going to kick it right off with this interview. Thank you for being here. Okay, so one thing I was curious about, which uh, I think about a lot, is at what point did you realize you were in, I don't want to say too many bands, but a lot of bands? So at the point at which I realized I was in a lot of bands was when... I was approached by this most recent person I did without love to play live with them every now and then and start saying, all right, this can't happen, but under some stipulations, like I need to know like six weeks in advance when I'm playing this show. Mm. Otherwise I just won't be able to do it. So like basically when I started like getting approached for more projects, it's like, okay, all right, maybe my time may be spread then. I see what you're saying. So once there started to be blackout dates on the gigging schedule, huh? Basically, like, um, yeah, if, uh, yeah, because, oh, my, my solo and my, the band that I work with and, like, Sarko Brook are all, like, stuff near and dear. And the point at which it starts, like, uh, it starts clogging up and I can't take care of myself on top of all, it's like, all right. It meant a lot, and I need to be careful with time. I get that, for sure. Um, I, on this end, I'm going through a bit of that right now and trying to figure out at what point, uh, what was the tipping point project. But I think what I, I can piece together looking at some of the releases that you put out with these projects is a few of them uh, were going through the pandemic without a lot of other things in the background. And that's part of the nature of this North Haven single that we're looking at today, correct? Yeah, I mean, like, if you wanted to consider it, like, very pandemic-related, uh, you know, we experienced a lot of grief and a lot of loss in, like, the last, like, what's going to be three years soon, mm. and there's a, the whole central theme of the record this spawns from is living with that grief and trying to come to terms with it. I guess um, the way that I, I, yes, very much, I I was looking at it through the limited lens there of, um, I know there's Solvency, North Haven, and um, there's another group that uh, uh, you just mentioned a second ago, but those three were projects that you had uh, been working on uh, during the pandemic when, for instance, gigging wasn't as much of a factor in the equation. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Circle broke. We kind of came into like late pandemic with like it was like a project that like my bandmate pulled us into 
too, but yeah, like insolvency, like got its first practice in like a month before the pandemic happened. And it's just like, yeah, that time without gigging allowed us to uh, put a lot of energy that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's definitely, yeah, pandemic time can definitely fuck up like your reasonable expectations of life. How, that's fascinating um, that you mentioned that it started just before uh, the pandemic, because I know a lot of people um, started projects to kind of offset the um, doominess, for lack of a better term. But uh, at, at that point, without any knowledge of what was about to happen, what inspired Solvency to come together? I mean, like, uh, like once the pandemic had already hit the full swing. No, no, no. You mentioned that uh, Solvency was a project that you had started just before uh, the pandemic and the lockdown and all that stuff, correct? Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, you're in 2019, I was like trying to be in bands because I loved bands all my life. And uh, it just kind of turned out that I just didn't have the chops. And I kind of fought my way to have the chops that year. And then just the people that I was meeting along the way, we vibed really well with. And I was like, I'm going to actually have my first band finally. And I pulled them together and it was a rocky start, but um, it was just kind of like filled the need to like create with people in ways I hadn't created before.
Hey, this is Future Alon again over here in Studio B at the BFF FM studio uh, on a rainy fucking day. You might have heard me talking about that shit earlier. Um, if not, rewind. It's great. I don't know how you got here. If not, are you listening to the broadcast? Holy fucking shit in real time. Gosh, anyhow, what I cut in to say was that last track was from the Mouth Rot Sessions that Solvent C did. There's a couple tracks. They're available on Spotify. They're available on YouTube if you want to see it. Uh, it's it's the exact same recording, so you're going to get to see what the fuck all of those fingers would look like playing those instruments. And and hands. And palm, palms and fingers. And feet. There's drums. Anyhow, um, I wanted to also cut in and tell you that if you don't follow Music Shelf with Mustard, which is a wonderful uh, music blog slash uh, condiment, it's, it's um, thesis is that Mustard that runs it is a condiment and everybody works for mustard or is an intern and they do the you should go check it out music shelf of mustard i'm not doing justice to explaining this wonderful concept but um another person besides ian and myself who is in this uh the music shelf with mustard discord is um in this band knife throat that i found and they're fucking awesome knife throat they have nothing to do with anything but i'm gonna play some cool fucking music for you and then i'm gonna get back to that interview with ian cool I'm going to assume you said yes, and thank you. You're awful nice. Solvency is your first like full uh, full piece band, so to speak. Yes, yeah, so very first, and um, I hope it stays. Oh, hey, no, there's no there's no funky metaphor I can make out of that one. But yeah, <laughs> first. That's cool. So, how long uh, were you doing North Haven before that? Um, I literally picked up an acoustic guitar uh, in June of 2019. <laughs> Wow. So, like, not a whole lot of time. I mean, I've been diddling around with the bass for, like, a year prior to that, but a lot of my proper theory knowledge, like, came up in those six months and then picked up a lot more along the way with Solvency. That's a fucking journey. Uh, respect. So you've been playing uh, music and recording music for maybe the last four years what, what inspired you to, to pick up an instrument at that point in uh, your tw- 20s, 30s? Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, 24. Hey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, I was, like, feeling the doom and gloom. But, like, uh, I wanted to do it much earlier in life, but um, I, don't know, I was in a different mindset where it just kind of wasn't working for me. I think I just didn't have a... Uh, a group of people to really aspire to and look up to because in my teenage years, everyone was making like folky music and I was way too into death metal shit. And <laughs> I think the interests finally aligned and like I was already being exposed to like a lot of incredible music by these folks. And I just kind of rang in and be like, let's actually pursue this motherfucker. Yeah. What were bands like, what was, what were tipping point bands that you, you knew you needed to make music because of what they were doing? Who were they to you? Uh, so I'm going to break it into some locals and some international, not international, but like 
locals and then bands that have probably been on a label or two here and there. Mm. So locals, uh, starters, Justin Arena, um, which is, they're a na- sort of national touring act. They're just kind of doing whatever, booking on their own in a similar vein to Pride More. Um, yeah, they're a bit of an inspiration. Uh, another, uh, my, co- my cousin, Brian Huntress, who played in the folk, folk punk band, uh, Boxer's Jaw for a while. Um, Ooh, that's a good name. And I would even say artists like uh, Nashville writer, uh, Nashville writer, uh, recording artist, Matt McCarthy. Uh, those are like three big inspirations. Oh, also uh, singer songwriter Pratik from Austin area. And then national acts that inspired that, I would have to say, would it, it would have to be like the Mountain Goats would be number one. Fuck yeah. Number Get stomped like a snake Lie down in the dirt Cling to my convictions Even when I get hurt Be an upstanding, well-loved man About town In your child's mind That's how it goes down but I try the losing side. I don't want to die in here. I don't want to die in here. Drift down into the new dark. Congratulations Spent too much of my life now trying to play fair Throw my better self overboard Shoot at him when he comes up for air Come unhinged Get revenge For years and years and years and years President of the fan club up there choking on his tears Let all the trash rain down From way up in the rafters I'm walking out of here in one piece Don't care what comes after Torch the bridge I feel like I so I finally got the uh, books on tape thing uh, hoopla. If you don't have hoopla, the book on tape uh, ebook whatever downloading thing from your library, and so I'm finally listening to uh, Wolf and White Van. Uh, I guess I could read it also, but it's just been cool to hear him read it to me, and I'm super glad that I hadn't read that before all this stuff went down. Because I feel like I would have asked a million questions after having a few drinks, and I'm glad that. It's not like I tried to read it uh, the other day. So I was like, I wonder if anybody else is thinking about this book the way I am. And like that becomes like this scary uh, life imitates art type thing where people are like, 
the book's a maze. And you're like, no, 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 the book's about people thinking that the book's a maze in real life. Don't do this. That's no good. <laughs> That's, uh, I, I have actually, I think I got through a third of Wolf and White Man trying to read that. And um, my brain has just like shut off <laughs> when I was like at that point. And knowing that there's at least a book on tape where I can hear John just like speaking out the whole thing, like, all right, yeah, no, yep, finally time to pick that up again. Yeah, there's music was, too. There's music. Ah, oh, that's sick. Fuck yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, uh, I'm doing. I'm listening to Universal Harvester, his other book right now, and then there's like piano and like funky drum shuffles. Uh, I. I hope it's John Worcester on drums. I, I think about that a lot now when I listen to stuff by people who he might be playing with. Like, is that him? How would I know it's him? He's funky, but like, what kind of snare hit would give him away? You know what I mean? Like, the way you can always tell it's John Bonham playing the drums because like, there's, I don't know, there's something like sloppy but funky about it and he gets all those cool bass drum hits. I think um, an indicator of Worcester's drumming typically ends up being either really jazzy or really in the pocket, like quick hits that you kind of sometimes catch you off guard, but sometimes feel like they just fit right in. Similar to like Peter Hughes' bass lines. Mm. Like it's always in service of like the energy, but sometimes they'll slide in something you wouldn't have caught. He plays a uh, traditional grip where uh, his left hand, um, instead of holding the stick between his index and thumb, it sits loosely between uh, the two fingers of your hand and like bounces in that little gap between your thumb and the palm. Uh, it's a fun juggling act and you get cool rolls out of it, but it's just like, uh, I think the reason why people play with the grip the way most drummers play like rock beats with is you get more impact and it isn't like, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's juggling for a whole set, I think is a good, it's probably the best way I can explain it. And I, I found it fascinating to be like, watching that be like, Man, like, I don't know, like, like drumming in super chunk with uh, fucking traditional grip blows my fucking mind, I think, uh, for John Worcester, let alone everything else he's doing. I think about that all the time, but I think that's a lot of how he achieves the cool uh, shuffle rolls that kind of like fade in and out without the, the dynamics of them. Yeah, actually, like, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that uh, he played like that in Super Chunk because I looked at old live footage just to see, like, huh, what was this like? And seeing him hold the sticks the exact same way that he would hold the sticks 25 years later is just like, it's insane. Yeah, he's, like, he's he a beast. Incredible then and incredible now. Yeah, what a like, yeah, what a good cast of uh, dudes. It's like, especially like the, the two, like, um, John Darnielle and John Worcester are just such dynamic personalities. It's funny that they like gel and make such mellow music. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, clearly all the stories are heart wrenching and go all over the place and epic, but like, it's, it's pretty chill sometimes like music for a coffee shop that you're crying at, you know? Exactly. I mean, like, I don't know, the perfect indicator that would have to be like all eternal's back in the life of the world to come. Like those albums are fucking bleak sometimes, but they're also just like, just so charming and like cool. And you can just like kick back and not have to think too hard for a little bit. Mm. I, I, mm. I, I wound up getting, uh, I found a Gene Loves Jezebel cassette in the street. Uh, I, I love that album Goths. I think it's a really cool game changer for their sound. And it's been interesting listening to this stuff or touching on a lot of the pop culture that he mentions in his songs and having it as like, I don't know, you, you kind of hear it almost through his lens a little bit, you know? While you're mentioning the cover, I want to ask like, yeah, yeah. how did you translate a 6-8 song into ska? Because like, that fucked me up that that could be done. Oh, uh, I love talking about this, um, this particular thing, but if, you know, if you let two numbers go long enough in a sequence, they wind up matching up with each other. So like every polyrhythm is divisible by two eventually, but you know, three and four, six, eight over four are usually pretty close. Did you ever listen to uh, that first track off the first Gorillaz album, five, four, either first or second track? It's like a four, four drum beat that goes over the top of a five, four guitar rhythm. I heard that when I was a kid and I was like, what is this about? And I think I started to obsess over that. I had like a drum teacher who was really obsessed with what he called fixed time, which is that like four and six fit over each other. So if you're always counting in six or three, 
while you're playing in four, especially if you're doing drum rolls or anything else, it's going to fuck the time up and make it sound like you're doing something way mathier than you are. Hmm. I've probably heard the song 5-4 a couple of times, but um, it didn't really register to me because I didn't study music when I was listening to the Gorillas way back. Yeah, it's definitely not. uh, They don't. A lot of the, like a lot of music doesn't strike as having like so much math behind it. And I think that's the magical simplicity people want you to feel about like the immediacy of the feeling instead of trying to tear it apart, which is why Dream Theater bores the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair. I haven't listened to them in like twenty years. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you dig on like that like fucking super dramatic proggy rock stuff? Like is super dramatic proggy rock like. Not, I mean, I listened to Kansas because I played Guitar Hero 2 <laughs> yeah. and, like, as, like, a kid. But, like, otherwise, like, the closest I got to it was the dramatic side, like, Sticks for, like, three months when I was, like, 14. Sticks is awesome. <laughs> Kansas. Spotify said my number one song for 2023 was Too Much Time on My Side by Sticks. <laughs> Holy shit. Wait, hold up. All right. Is that... Is that from, uh, what was the concept album? Oh, um, with Mr. Roboto, right? Yes. Kil- yes, yes. Kilroy was here, I think it's called. I think so. Yeah, it's, uh, that's got some jams. I like the, yeah. their, their synthy period a lot. <laughs> Just a big fan of that shit. Oh yeah, it was, it was remarkable. It's, it, it was the, the cheese of every single, like, save music rock opera video just boiled into like a 40 minute album that's like some landmark landmark cheesy shit and i just cannot get enough of that's like i i think uh, have you ever listened to any of the kinks mid-period rock operas like um uh village preservation society parts one and two those are fucking epic I didn't even know the Kinks made like rock opera albums. They've got like two other ones besides these that are also ridiculous, but that one's just like front to back. It's like they sound, it's that time period where they sound like the band, you know, with like Levon Helm and shit. It's worth the time. It's weird. And like you can dig up some weird guides through the story through uh, Google searches that I found to be pretty fun. I like to see how other people view the plots to rock operas. Like I did that with a. Uh, uh what was it the second or the third my chemical romance the black parade i looked up somebody else's like timeline of how that story works the other day and was kind of happy i did
part on NPR when they're like, now we come to the time where we ask you to donate. Well, this is like that, but short. Donate at bff.fm slash donate today. All right. So I felt like I couldn't not play our cover, uh, my band Sad Snacks cover of No Children after talking about it for a minute like that, because you, the listener, might know me from this BFF FM radio show and not know that I did that particular cover. But now, you know, we're cool, right? Like, I can get to premiering Ian Garland and North Haven's premier song, Post-Pandemic Blues, from their upcoming album, Post-Pandemic Blues. Are we, are we cool? Am I cool to do that? Because I'm going to do it right now. The world that wields a dagger wrapped in silver and red Aimed it at our throats Makes us work till we're old and dead Give us one more year We could spend it in bed Cut a path through the reeds When we have all cleared our heads These chains they're wearing me down And I just want out Go take a pill or something So I, I don't I don't want to leave this house today, I'd rather be alone. But you've got a clock in to pay back those student loans. No one told me it would wear me down like the tides against the stones. If you just tuned in, my name is Alan Moskowitz. This is the Fake Publishing Millionaires Hour, and we're talking to Ian Garland from North Haven and Solvency. Let's get back to that phone interview. Your, the independent case stuff has really caught my eye because my bandmate RJ is like writing a Shonen-inspired web novel oh, cool. and like releasing like an EP of music every time the like it comes to a certain significant point in the story, like releasing anime openings and endings and like character songs all, all alongside it. It's like I don't know any other musician that was doing that until uh, the premiere of Act One of Indica and Decay. Oh fuck yeah! RJ uh, plays uh, has a, has a studio project he's been working on since like I don't know it's twenty seventeen or twenty sixteen or something like that. Uh, it's called Circle Brook that 
pulls a lot of post-hardcore, J-rock, and all of that kind of genres. Like, one of the most recent, uh, on the most recent EP, there was a song that just sounded like Coldplay with a math rock breakdown, but that's bordered against, like, a song that just you know, hits all of the heavy notes, chugs, breakdowns, screams. We recorded audio of us, like, beating the crap out of each other in the studio for it, like... <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. I, I gotta, I gotta ask, like, real, like, fucking, we're, <laughs> can you explain how beating the crap out of each other in the studio looks just for our listeners, like, were they kicks, were y'all punching each other, how does that, how does that look? Kind of like that, kicks, punches, a little bit of shoves, cause, like, like, RJ is fragile and Bryce is huge, but, like, there's just a lot of us being overly dramatic cause we're weirdos. <laughs> That's pretty excellent. That just immediately drew my mind to that Andrew WK cover where he's bashed his nose in with that brick. That, oh man, that's my fucking shit right there. Hell yeah. Like, I, didn't, I didn't think of that correlation, but that, that that's good. That's some good reference. I'd heard that he'd really done it with the brick, but also I heard it through a PR magazine like Rolling Stone or something, so maybe he didn't. It's kind of magical to imagine he did. That's why, I, I don't know, I, was, I, I need to know what beating each other up in the booth looks like. I can't just drop that. <laughs> but honestly, I'm kind of with you where, like, I believe in, like, the magic of mania and that, like, he had to have, like, actually hit himself in the face with the brick probably regretted it like 10 minutes later but like i don't um, know if he lives with regret <laughs> i feel like like minor momentary regret oh, that was kind of a stupid thing i guess so i feel like maybe his hyper positivity is like that was kind of a stupid thing like i don't i i can't imagine him regretting anything maybe he like gets a pang of sadness when the party ends <laughs> He like, um, I was going to a college, I went to one of the SUNY schools in New York and he lives in Queens and they had a part, like a, a yearly festival that was just falling apart and somebody went to his house in Queens cause they just happened to know where he is cause that's New York in a nutshell. And, um, they were like, Hey, there's a party that's tanking. We need your help. We have a state budget to, you know, so they drove him up and he played a surprise set, uh, and nobody believed he was going to do it, so I personally wasn't there for it, and I regret this. I live with regret. Um, and there was a blackout, and he was like, well, we're just going to keep partying. And he just yelled his set at them, apparently, and people just moshed in a dark room, and, like, everybody had broken arms the next day. It was nuts. Yeah, he's he is a a surreal human being, and I am glad to live in a timeline where he exists. <laughs> Have you caught it, uh, one of his live shows? Uh, I was when I was much younger and still like working for like different publications, writing about music because hard news reporting never paid enough. Um, and I got invited to one of Marky Ramone's tours. Uh, and Andrew WK was singing and they were just doing Ramon's songs. And I got significantly too wasted during like the hot rod circuit or whatever set and didn't make it through. So, I mean, objectively, oh. yes, I've been in the same room as a show, but I can't tell you what it was like. <laughs> I think uh, I saw him from New Year's Eve. I think it was going from 2018 into 2019 in Boston. And that whole room was wild. Like, I'm pretty sure the moment that the countdown hit zero and they all came on, like, I went deaf for 10 seconds. Damn. I can't imagine seeing him New Year's. That's nuts. Like, you're absolutely New Year's. There was, like, some dude who, like, ripped off this this silly Pikachu beanie and ripped it in half as he was, like, tumbling over the barricade in front of me. Like, and I could could feel the weight of a hundred drunk Bostonians, like, (laughs) making the... The, the floor of the Palladium, not the Palladium, the Paradise into a pit. Remarkable night. 100% would recommend catching an Andrew WK show. 
God, I can't imagine seeing him in Boston. Uh, I when I was younger, I was in uh, at like a warp tour where it was like Dropkick Murphys and Rancid back to back, and like it was just a sea of like white, large, fat, hairy, but like bald on top bodies, like, and you had to like grab people's shoulders and try to like surface for air because everybody was like a mountain of a skinhead. It was not like hard to flogging. Molly was there too. It was like people were dying. <laughs> Nobody died. But you know what I mean? It was like, like too Boston. Boston is wild. I, mean, I, I sometimes I doubt when people say, "Oh, hey, this is the best city," because I've heard like the Wonder Years say it. I've heard it's like a handful of other state, other bands like National Touring Acts. Maybe it was Bouncing Souls. Well, like Big D has to say it. That's their whole shtick is they have to say at least Big D. They they're forced. It's like in their rider. Like everybody has to say "Go Boston" at least once. You know? Yeah, but like. I, Sometimes you just see the energy of these crowds, like all these people who probably really like hockey and played it in high school, mm. are just like exerting it now in these crowds, like, ooh, ooh, scary, but fun. Yeah, I, I must admit, like, I... I fucking like I think back on some of the crazy stage dive moves I used to do. Uh I got super injured falling off an amp the other like a few years back and I've been like cagey about stuff. But um yeah, man, fucking that shit's nuts. I absolutely miss like I can't like that was like part of high school. I don't know, were you were you into like crowd surfing, stage diving, mosh pits and shit? Are are you into them still? What's what's your what's your thing? Well my thing, um well I, I started breaking the shell a little bit, like a little bit pre-pandemic and then post-pandemic going even harder. So if I can get the opportunity and it's like a band I've already seen before, I am crowd surfing. I am doing stage diving. Um, I, I spent I, at least like a combined like five minutes skanking on a fest stage when I went to fest this last uh, fall. Oh, that sounds like, good. Uh, the energy was just there for it. It was so ripe.
Community, community, community radio. Community, community, community radio. Community, community, community radio. Community radio for the San Francisco music scene. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever. What's coming up next for you with like North Haven and with Solvent C and with all of your other projects? I have a release show for the album at the end of February. Um, Solvent C, we're looking to have an album out in like the mid to late spring. Playing out a bunch of shows, trying to play out of Circle Brook. And meanwhile, I'll be booking and doing more uh, engineering for people. Uh, I've got a really interesting recording slate going up for. Uh, this year, uh, my my handle almost everywhere is the North Haven. N O R T H A V E N. But yeah, like post pandemic blues comes out in um, at the end of the month, and it's maybe destroyed by a friend of mine. We'll see where that goes. If you're listening on BFF FM right now, go to the show page, and you will find links to all of this stuff. <laughs> Hell yeah, radio speak. All right, once again, this has been the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. My name is Alon Moskowitz. Our guest this week was Ian Garland. Go check out North Haven. New album post-pandemic news coming out. Bye. I know it's